Hello everyone and welcome to this episode, the ongoing one of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. I'm Andrew Jacobs. Before we start, just to let you know we need your recording for special confidence episode of the podcast. We'd love to get it published before Learning Technologies in a couple of weeks' time. Full details are in the show notes. I'm not a fan of virtue signalling. I've been accused of it for publicising this podcast. It happens a lot around International Women's Day. Organisations vie to project themselves as the most inclusive, most engaged, most open to the ideas of their female employees. Off the back of this, we decided to do something a bit different, and this episode is the first in a series to keep the conversations going about breaking bias and challenging perceptions about whether equality is changing things. Our first guest is Laura Drury. Laura recently joined Thrive as Head of Marketing to focus on building momentum and getting the brand in front of more eyes than ever before. She's been in the technology industry for around 10 years, covering just about every part of marketing along the way, and has a real passion for storytelling and authentic connections. Our second guest is Helen Marshall. Helen is Head of Learning at Thrive. She leads a team of content designers and oversees the content design and delivery to figure out exactly how content campaigns and pathways can be used to support their customers. Helen has worked vendor side for around eight years now, before which she started and never finished an art history PhD. Helen herself says she was distracted by tech-based projects, teaching and writing about stuff that wasn't her research and accidentally fell into the world of digital learning. This is Women Talking About Learning. This is Laura and Helen talking about the ongoing one. Thanks for that um, intro, Andrew, and uh, hello, I'm Helen Marshall, Head of Learning at Thrive, and I'm so pleased to be here because we finally got around to recording after a um, a bit of sickness, holidays in the way, and it's been delayed a little bit, so I'm really pleased to to be here with uh, with Laura as well, and I know, Laura, we've not really known each other for very long, but hopefully this podcast may may give us a chance to get to know each other even better. So did you want to give a bit of an intro, Laura? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Helen. So um, I'm Laura Drury. I'm the head of marketing for the UK at Thrive Learning. Um, I've worked in the technology space for about 10 years across a number of different organisations and roles. Um, I've only been with Thrive for the last five weeks, so relatively new, um, but absolutely loving it. And um, yeah, I think I've definitely seen and experienced some things over the years that's kind of led me to this point where I'm really passionate about being a woman in the technology space. So I'm really excited to be part of this conversation today. Um, Did you want to introduce a bit more about yourself, Helen? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, I'm I'm head of learning um, at Thrive. So I do my my role is pretty dual focused, I'd say. So I'm I'm kind of responsible for the quality of the content that we put out there, but also um, kind of figuring out um, client strategy and working um, through that content with them and how it fits together with what they do. Um, I've been in the industry for, I guess, eight years, I'd say now. Um, although I'm not good with numbers and anyone who, someone asked me my birthday last night actually and I am um, how old I was and I couldn't even remember so that's how good <laughs> I am with numbers um, but I think I've seen a lot of change I've experienced a lot of change um, and I think we're at quite I feel like we're in quite a good momentum at the moment in the industry for um, seeing new things come into play and people advocating for change as well and 
and I think this discussion today was kind of sparked off a bit of that really so mm. I think off the back of International Women's Day there was a um, a question that was on pe the tip of people's tongues which was well it's, it's brilliant that you're kind of advocating for women that you're saying you're doing all these amazing things on the day but what are you really doing um, and I think Andrew tweeted me on the day actually and, and others about his um, his 10 th uh, three tens rule which was um, I think in 10 days time what outputs will you be able to link to International Women's Day in this example in 10 weeks time what are the outcomes and in 10 months time what will the impact be um, and that kind of prompted you and I Laura I think to think about well what are some of the goals that we could maybe set ourselves personally and on an organizational level as well and, and to maybe think a little bit more practically about that and I think historically um, I suppose I'll be the first to admit that historically I've probably not been very um, active in response to International Women's Day. Um, I always join in and I feel really strongly about the topics that are discussed and um, the things that go on and you know on and around the day but as far as kind of actively linking my actions to to the day and beyond I, I don't think I've really been that great um, and part of that maybe is because I haven't felt empowered in previous roles to make change or maybe advocate for change but also that maybe I haven't really given voice to those the way I was feeling or maybe not known about how to talk about some of this stuff as well and I don't know how about you Laura do you have a, a similar experience there? Yeah yeah I do and I think everything you've just said really resonates with me as well and um, I find this really interesting because um, over the past few years definitely I've seen it you know International Women's Day being celebrated I've taken part like you um, kind of joining in um, but at times you know it feels a little contradictory to my own experiences within some of these tech tech organizations so you know mm. I've had the goodie bags I've taken part in the social media shout outs but at times it's kind of felt a bit so what um mm. I think most organizations who take part you know LinkedIn is just flooded with with photos and posts about the women who work there but really like is that doing anything other than just showing that they have women in their workforce um I think there has to be so much more that we can all be doing to actually drive change off the back of this what do you think yeah yeah absolutely and I think well, I think so, like so much needs to change it's almost like well where do we start <laughs> and I think it's not just about um the pay gap and I'm sure many people will have seen the gender pay gap bot that was on Twitter that um I don't know whether I was laughing or crying at some yeah. of the tweets that it yeah. produced <laughs> but it that kind of really put things into perspective and I know that I, I, I mean, it's great that pe that that was in focus for people, and that was that was highlighting the particular issue with the gender pay gap. But that's not really the be all and end all of a lot of the the issues that um, were surrounding the day and, and how we would go about breaking the bias. It's not just about um, the pay gap, and I think that is maybe something that that people struggle with. Um, you know that that's you know, it's just all about a pay gap but it's really it's really not and I suppose my experience has stemmed from what is quite an advantageous position as a white woman in a place of privilege mm. and I think I'm kind of ever conscious of giving way and supporting or encouraging other voices in any way that I can mm. um, and I suppose it's not just a workplace thing then it it becomes a community and a, and a personal thing as well and I think as a parent I'm really conscious that those changes can start with me um, as well 
Um, and I suppose like the last two years really have changed people's perceptions so much um, and shifted priorities and, and people have had to juggle so much uncertainty. Um, and there seems to be a real recognition that we need to talk more about that and about that past couple of years um, and the impact particularly it's had on women in the workplace. Um, I know you might have something to, to add about that, how that shift's been for you, Laura. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had personally a really kind of interesting, I think is the right word, mix of experiences working in um, technology organisations in particular as a female. So, um, and I'd actually go back further than the past couple of years. So pre-pandemic, if any of us can remember that, <laughs> to when I had um, my first child, which was almost seven years ago now. Um, I remember there's a couple of things that stick out really clearly in my mind and one of those was being pregnant with my first son um, heavily pregnant at work and having a conversation with a colleague at the time who who said to me as part of this conversation that without without faltering said I was at a point in my career where I'd hit my earnings peak essentially um, and this really struck a chord with me because I hadn't really considered it I hadn't really thought about that and I was absolutely sure no one had said anything like that to my partner um, in relation to this you know I'd, I'd worked hard to that point I'd progressed in my career as I'd expected to so I felt like I really wanted to argue it but then I, I kind of sat back and I thought well maybe that's true I don't know what it's going to be like as a working parent yet and maybe she is right um, and then when I went back to work after that first baby my experience unfortunately was really negative um, and it wasn't just because of the juggle you know that comes with being a working parent that you're obviously very familiar with as well Helen but it was the perception of working mums at the, at the organisation. I was just seen completely differently. They hadn't adjusted their culture to kind of um, change how we were treated. So trying to fit back into the same box we left was almost impossible. Um, the need for flexibility was completely frowned upon mm -hmm. back then, which made it really hard to get that balance. Um, so I left that company not long after and joined another organisation, um, another tech organisation. And then when I was introduced to the business during their company-wide monthly presentation, a photo of my son had actually been deleted from the slide that they asked me to put together and just was not mentioned. And I just found that, I mean, I felt tears pricking in my eyes and I thought, is this it? Like, is this what being a working mum is all about? Um, so I actually considered leaving employment altogether at that point. And it was really sad because it wasn't because of a doubt in my own ability that was still there. It was purely down to culture and perception and this environment that was set up in a way that didn't even acknowledge my role as a parent. So, um, you know, when you dig into the data, there's a huge disparity between males and females around how working patterns are affected after you have children. Um, and I feel like we're, we're placed at a huge disadvantage from the get go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to say more recent experiences have been much more positive and uh, they've given me that confidence back to, to shout louder about being a working parent and to advocate for women who have families and careers. Um, I think it's really important. And I think as well, the pandemic's really shone a light, um, not only on the imbalance of parenting, but also the strength of working mums. And I think that is a great thing. There's not many good things to come out of the pandemic and lockdown, but I do think that is one of them. Um, and, and my situation then during the first lockdown, I was, I was pregnant with baby number three. Um, I had a two-year-old at home all day, every day. Uh, and I was trying to homeschool a four-year-old on top of my full-time job. That's just nuts. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was incredibly challenging, but I learned 
so much more about resilience and how to be resilient um, and how much resilience I had as part of my character anyway during that time than any other time in my life. So um, I think, you know, to sum, to sum that point up, there's so much more that I bring to my role now as a result of that. And I think that's something that we need to talk about and explore how that can be kind of um, enveloped in our roles at work as well. And yeah, I know you've got young children, Helen, what's your experience been around that? Yeah, I mean, I've had something, fortunately, not um, quite as horrible as the experience you had when you when you first came back to work. But when I had my first child, um, there was no, my organisation at the time was not, even though they had a flexible working policy, hardly anybody was granted flexible working. Um, and that was quite a point of contention, um, you know, at, at the time. But I was kind of the opposite end of the scale in that I wanted to kind of prove everybody wrong and like come back to work full time and say I can handle being a mom and a full time job at the same time and um, mm. really kind of put that pressure on myself to, to kind of prove that I could do it because of that expectation I, I felt um, kind of linked to what you mentioned there about um, uh, some of the challenges that you'd faced and it's yeah it, it was I always almost look back now and think it's not I don't know why I put that much pressure on myself um it, you know it, sh it should have just been what I wanted and um you know really maybe I shouldn't have come back to work full-time or there's always that mum guilt isn't there around the decisions that you make oh. anyway yeah. um and it was it was fine like I was good at my job I managed to balance things there are obviously times where you know childcare was impacted because of um you know various um illnesses or and then that impacted work but but generally I felt like it was okay however um I, I, when my when my second child arrived that kind of um, that was during the pandemic so the, the situation was so unique in itself but it's just I mean, it, it sounds silly but it's so much harder with two children um and I don't think I'd really kind of geared myself up for that um and I think um, that shift was was very difficult to um, to deal with, and I've just seen um, Andrew put a question in the chat there about are are the experiences better because society has changed, or is it employers, or, or is it employers being aware, or something else? Um, and I suppose my immediate response to that is probably a bit of everything, yeah. um, because there's, there seems to be a that kind of acknowledgement in society that women aren't going to be the ones that stay at home and um, look after children, or, don't, or they don't have to be, obviously, some people are, or do. Um, and I think that's kind of, that is encouraged in certain societies. Um, but also em employers, I, I think it had potentially started on that journey of flexibility a, a bit before uh, the pandemic hit anyway. Um, and that they were recognizing that there needed to be more flexibility or balance between the personal and professional lives. But obviously the pandemic just kind of fast forwarded all of that mm. stuff that was going on. Um, and I'm not sure whether it was, whether it, it has all been positive or, or whether you know there's, there's things that we're still going to need to unpack about the impact, like you say, working full time, trying to homeschool, whilst whilst having two young children children is just you know that kind of impact on our um, emotional well-being I, I think is still maybe still needs to be unpacked a little bit yeah. um 
and I think employers are aware that well-being has been affected in that respect and they do need to be more flexible they need to provide um, different options for people and um, I have definitely seen a shift um, in that but I do also think there needs to be almost a deeper conversation going on about some of these things um, you know and, and we need to maybe start talking a bit more about community and and how we can build those connections together what, what do you think Laura? Yeah I think you're right and I think um, in response to that question I completely agree I think it's it's almost like a perfect storm of factors that's, that's led us to this point and I don't know about you but when I look back to my working environment uh, you know three years ago even not not a huge amount of time ago I can't imagine working to that level of rigidity and um kind of you know structure because it just doesn't work for my circumstances at the moment so mm. back then pre-pandemic I think you're absolutely right I think it, the pandemic expedited this um a, a lot I think pre-pandemic I wouldn't have been able to work in in the situation I'm in now because I just have too many factors outside of work that impact where I need to be when so you know and what I can focus on when and and all of these things so I think um, I think employers uh, are recognizing that and I think they're putting they're changing and I, I wouldn't just say they're putting provisions in place I'd say they're fundamentally changing cultures and the way they hire the way they onboard the way they look at retaining their people and I think that's really really crucial because we're going to have so many more options about how we work now so trying to get people to work the way they used to um, and, and we've kind of borne it out here but I think you know women are facing more of this need for flexibility because we are still the primary caregivers in most in most circumstances i think that's the kind of situation that we're facing so yeah laura i, t I totally agree with what you were saying and I i've just seen that kind of um, a question pop up from andrew in the chat about if if in if it is better if employers have become more flexible and, and are aware that they need to be more flexible is international women's day able to to claim it has had an effect and mm. i don't know the immediate answer to this um, and I know what, what I do know is that it seems to be a bigger thing these days. So International Women's Day is well marketed and people do get involved and it has become a thing to do on a day. Um, whereas, um, and, and so I suppose as a result of that, that, you know, it could be bringing key questions into focus for people. And it, and it certainly does do that. Um, but whether it's, you know, a, a primary driver of, of some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, for me, I would say the primary driver has just been the, the absolute chaos that's been the last couple of years. And I think the increased kind of um, movement of International Women's Day is almost a kind of side effect of that because companies are now having to be more flexible, having to recognise different challenges that people are facing and, and understanding the huge pressure that's put on women in the workplace for different reasons um, and doing something to sort of put a foundation under that and support it and try and drive change. I think we will see changes happening as a result of this now because as well as all of the kind of, you know, posts showing great photos of women in the workplace, there was also a lot of conversation that I saw about what are people actually doing then? What are we going to do? How are we going to make sure our business and us personally are held accountable this time next year to say that we've actually moved the needle on that yeah absolutely so I, I suppose like what what do you think 
we will be doing, I suppose, from a, on a personal perspective, but also yeah. a business perspective. So I did have some thoughts around this. And in the interest of complete transparency, I did admit to you, Helen, when we were talking about this session that I wasn't sure I was doing enough to warrant a conversation about this topic. Um, but I think with a bit more reflection, there's definitely things that are happening and things that I'm a part of that we can hopefully look back on and recognise that um, there was a difference, something has made a difference. So um, the first one for me was just um, joining Thrive. I think I, I have to mention that. I mean, Thrive has a culture like I've never seen before. Um, inclusivity, equality, they're just baked in to this organisation. It's not an initiative, it's not a campaign, it's not an annual kind of drive, it's just part of their DNA. Um, so I think, you know, there's amazing women doing amazing things all around me every day um, with complete flexibility to make it work for them. So one of my personal goals is to definitely make the most of that environment to excel and to grow and to learn as much as possible. Um, that's absolutely what first came to my mind. Um, I think as well within our marketing itself, you know, the, the marketing that we do as a business, I think we do a really good job of advocating and showcasing amazing women. And that's something I definitely want to, I definitely want us to continue to focus on. So um, if you're kind of familiar with our marketing, if you follow us on our social channels, you'll see lots of our client stories are incredible women talking about the incredible things they're doing within their own organizations to drive change. And I think that's a message we absolutely need to keep fostering and keep pushing with our with our marketing efforts and our marketing initiatives. Um, another thing for me I want to do um, is to take a, a really close look at who we work with in the industry and, and partner with thought leaders who um, are driving this change as part of their own agenda. Um, which is kind of happening naturally anyway, because that fits well with our culture and our vision. But I think that's going to be so powerful for us as a business. So I can't wait to look back at that particular one in a year and see um, some of the great things that we've hopefully managed to do. Um, and then just a couple more for me. So another goal that I'm setting for myself is to definitely parent louder. And I saw that phrase on an article that an ex-colleague posted and it really resonated with me. I've never forgotten it. So in the past, I'm, you know, here comes the mum guilt. I've shied away from publicly acknowledging the challenges and the reality of being a working mum. And I felt really guilty about having time off uh, on maternity leave. But I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm at exactly where I hope to be in my career. So nothing has gone wrong. Um, it's made me, if anything, way more focused, more organised, more resilient that I touched on earlier. So I think I'm in a better place now as a result of being a mum. So I'm just going to be louder about that. Um, and then my final point um, to make was around skills. So we talk about skills so much as a business and how we are helping our clients understand and grow the skills in their teams and fill the skill gaps that they have as an organisation. I would love to see something that recognizes and builds on the skills that we've been talking about in this session. Um, you call them power skills, Helen, um, mm -hmm. that women bring to the table as a result of their experiences. So I don't think we make enough of that. And then how can we get other people in the business to learn from those experiences so that they're growing as a result as well? That would be awesome. Yeah, amazing. That's like, like so, so many amazing things there, Laura, and for yourself um, and for the organisation as well. And you just reminded me of a couple of conversations that I've had recently um, 
so one was with with my with one of my um team um um Augie, and he and he was telling me all about these amazing things that he does in his spare time and I was like oh well, I don't have anything interesting <laughs> to contribute to like what do I do in my spare time and he and he was just so insightful about the skills that I have as a parent and he said like, I, I would know nothing about half of the things that you have to do on a daily basis and it was just such a nice moment of you know actually that's so true mm-hmm. um and I don't think we give ourselves enough credit we for that no. and that kind of links in with what you were saying there about parenting louder as well because another conversation I actually had last night with one of our colleagues Donna um she said having children makes her a better Donna um mm. and I thought again it, 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 it it's true it's true it like having children makes you a better version of yourself because you want to be a better version for your children and do the best for your children so I'm with you on so many of those things that, that, you, that you just mentioned and I'd love to also see some of those power skills like the things that um that Oggy said um that, that I have that I haven't maybe recognized in myself and and, and how we can share that knowledge and, and those skills with others in the organization or outside of it um, as well or whatever that ends up looking like um, and I suppose from a personal perspective um, I was kind of similar to you in that I am because I have historically not you know continued taking action as a result of International Women's Day I was quite conscious that I definitely wanted to do that this year and, and now also I'm probably in more of a position where I feel able to do that too mm-hmm. um so I immediately offered my time to um Young Women's Trust who are a feminist organization who um are supporting young young women and, and, and striving for economic justice for young women um and I signed up to their their emails actually um just to kind of get a feel of, of what they're about and they've got such a great marketing campaign and um and the content that they, they they just kind of hook you in and, and suck you into all these like facts and figures about the impact of various things on women. Um, so I definitely recommend people kind of go and, and have a listen and, and see what they're all about. But I thought actually that would, they'd be a really good organisation to donate some time to. So I'm, I'm being a bit more conscious about offering my time to other people um and using my voice to to help people if I can um and I do that I think within a work environment and within the industry too that I, I mean I have quite a lot of conversations with people within the industry quite regularly um and I and I I want to kind of continue that and um I think that's definitely something that falls in line with this idea of of breaking the bias that International Women's Day was all about this year um but then also I'm quite conscious, like you, of what's going on in, inside Thrive. And like you say, it's quite, it's, it's so refreshing to be part of an organisation where um, inclusivity is kind of on, on everybody's minds and it's part of the conversation that we, that we have here. But, but also like there's still work to be done, right? It's not like we're not at the place where we're like, right, that's brilliant, no more work needs to be done or whether we'll ever get to that place, I don't know. Um, but I think we can all kind of think about what we can do to support women in the workplace and how we can maybe get more women into tech in general. Um, and that's something I think we could we could definitely um, start to, to have conversations about. Um, I know um, Sean has given over a platform um, to help uh, young women code. 
um, and he's given that it's called code with zeal and um, it, it's encouraging females to get involved and to and to code and to give them that space to um, share knowledge and share a community around um, uh, this knowledge and um, that I mean that's brilliant because you know we that's just directly supporting women um, who, who need that space and need that support um, so I know we're already taking kind of action in that space, but it'll be interesting to see where that goes and how we um, can continue to, to do that. Um, and then I suppose there's more kind of simple things. Um, so being an active ally, and I think Laura, I mentioned this to you earlier, that I find it personally much easier to be an ally to somebody, to call somebody out for something that they're doing wrong for, against someone else than I am about calling someone out for doing something wrong against me, um, which I think is quite interesting and probably needs a bit of self-reflection on that and what, what can go into that. But um, uh, I think being an active ally where I can, calling things out that you see um, that aren't, you know, aren't right, um, uh, like all male panels, for example, and I know Andrew shares, <laughs> shares that passion. Um, but I think there's there's bigger things and smaller things that we're, that we're all doing. And, and I suppose, when we look to continue this conversation, when we um, when we next come together as part of the ongoing series, um, it would be good to see what we've put in place um, and and you know what what if any of the goals we have achieved um, by that point, um, and think start thinking a little bit more about what the outcomes are of these conversations, but also this reflection as well and and recognizing that I suppose we can we can always do better, but also that we're already doing a pretty good job as well. It's been such a, a great chat and moment of reflection, Laura. So thank you for sharing so openly with with me and, and being part of this conversation. No, thank you um, as well, Helen. It's been it's been a real pleasure to to speak and vent on some of those issues. So I'm looking forward to the next session where we can look back and hopefully um, have some exciting updates and some, and some things to report on. Definitely. That was a fascinating conversation to sit in on. And this episode really does, I think, set the context as to what this series is going to be. Both Laura and Helen have been very brave to publicly commit to doing something like this um, and to allow us to, to chase and follow it up. The next episode will be out in mid to late June and we'll find out how much Laura and Helen have achieved then. An enormous thank you to them both for both recording now and working around the complex calendars and issues that they mentioned before, but also committing to more recordings. You'll find both Laura and Helen's details in the show notes as well as links they've mentioned. Remember to send us your three-minute audio recordings on confidence. Again, all the details are in the show notes. And please like and subscribe to Women Talking About Learning on your podcast player. It really does make a difference because people can find us and then they can subscribe too. Take care and we'll see you again soon.